Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast with The Athletic. Today, my co-host is Mo DeKeel, um, and uh, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, they always say very special guest on podcasts, so as a, uh, as a new podcast uh, host, I am uh, learning the lingo. And so we are joined by very... But we really mean it. We really but do we mean, really it, this mean time. it this time. Yeah, yeah. The very special because uh, other guests, of which we've had none, are not special. Um, but, but, but our very special guest is Mike Procopio, who was a longtime Dallas Mavericks uh, player development coach. Um, before that, worked with uh, many, you know, with other teams um, and, uh, you know, other players. Uh, I'll let him give you the rundown on that. Uh, but but as of as of right now, I believe you have moved into somewhat the the media world. Is that is that right, Pro? No, uh, not media actually. Uh, player development consulting and coaching consulting. Um, I have a company called the Hoop Consultants, and I also work for BSN Sports as a, a basketball brand ambassador, doing coaching clinics for coaches all over the country for uh, BSN Sports, which is uh, located in the Dallas area. BSN Sports is a it's a it's one of those uh media sounding sounding yeah, ones, it does. yeah they're actually like a billion dollar company <laughs> that uh that sells to about thirteen thousand high schools and colleges across the country doing like uh athletic gear and athletic equipment and things like that so they have me do coaching clinics uh for all their clientele throughout the country in the off season sort of trying to educate coaches uh, uh at all levels mostly the high school level. Did did you and Dirk have a retirement pact or something, or or it's just like like it's just <laughs> yeah? I was, I was amused by uh, by by uh, you know your your last year coincided with Dirk's and and you know knowing you you both uh, as legendary shit talkers. Yeah, to we each did other. have we did have a retirement pact. His was by choice, <laughs> and mine wasn't. So you know, so so we just no. sort of had that in common. I was picturing a Thelma and Louise sort of send off, which is probably a reference that Tim doesn't get, so we won't even yeah, rag on Thelma, him yet for that. Like, but thinking kind more of Thelma and Danny DeVito, to be honest with you, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> Fair enough. So, so now that you don't have Dirk in your day to day life, uh, where do you get your shit talking? Who, 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 uh, who has to take the brunt of this? Anybody that that dares call me throughout the day usually gets it. So, <laughs> you know, I have plenty. Of Ooh, I kind of want to start doing that. Yeah, Mike, you and I might just start having some trash talk. Let's do that. We can do that for sure. Just you got to you get. So let me let me ask where does now seeing that you've been around all this trash talk, where does Luca rank in the trash talk world? Because I feel like he's pretty high up. No, nah, uh, trash talking. One of the worst I've ever been around, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, one no. of the, Now in the game, probably could probably to other players and stuff. But as far as players who take it and give it on a daily basis to like teammates and things, yeah, he was probably in the bottom 10%. Bottom 10%. If you were to be the player development coach of trash talking for Luca, how would you begin to coach him up? I'm, I'm interested in what your process is because, uh, <laughs> boy, your, your, your stuff is legendary. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah, well, first of all, he wasn't a five foot one, 450-pound fat kid for most of his life, so... You know, being able to take that when I was a kid and live through that and watch about an unhealthy amount of movies throughout my life, you know, especially in the 80s, I got a lot of good practice and a lot of good note taken from that. So, I mean, I, I think he should just stick to being a, a quasi billionaire in the next 15 or 20 years of his career and, you know, be good at the basketball part. All right. What was the meanest thing Dirk's ever said to you? Uh, 
that you can possibly we'll say it. on the podcast. We'll keep, Maybe something we'll, I gotta we can't. keep that back in the locker room. That's that's you know, I don't want to be frayed open the godfather <laughs> on that. I, I'll leave it where it is. <laughs> Believe me, it wasn't pleasant for whatever it was said. <laughs> Just, just um, I I want people who are not familiar with uh with your work to to fully understand this. So I'm reading I'm I'm reading these uh these trash talking talking moments directed mm-hmm. at Dirk, um from a CBS Sports Oral History by James Herbert. Sure. Um, and and so these are uh you know from Pro's mouth. Uh, Dirk's so old that his calcium deposits have calcium deposits. He sometimes says, "I can't wait to t- t- uh, to retire." He sometimes says, I can't wait to retire. I tell him statistically, he retired in 2014. National Geographic is doing a ranking. Who's the least mobile? The Titanic, Stonehenge, or him? He came in fourth. I tell him, uh, I tell his legs every day what the late, great Jim Valvano said. Survive in advance. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Really, really, uh, really not holding back there. And, and you know, as someone who's been around the team for the past, uh, you know, five six seven years and just occasionally getting to see this uh you know just like being in the crossfire of of a pro and dirk uh you know trash talk uh back and forth oh man it's it, it feel like a, you, you feel like you're in the trenches for sure i, I think tim like you know the, the the year is stressful enough as it is and you know obviously trying to play and trying to do and not just dirk but any player you work with i think you have to have some type of good rapport and funny rapport to sort of loosen things up you know, we all want to take our job serious and, you know, no question about it, but you can't take yourself all that serious and you got to lighten things up throughout the year and just sort of keep it pleasant. And Dirk's one of those guys and he's a Hall of Famer in this in this regard as well, where he just like he can give it, he can take it. He's good human like that. He could make fun of himself. So, you know, I'm an easy target because of my weight and stuff and you know, and I and I go back at every player that I've ever worked with, you know, from Kobe Bryant to Johnny Bryant and everybody in between that I've worked with. And, you know, I think you have to have a pretty good rapport and sort of keep it white and, and just sort of keep it moving. Yeah, I think that's an important thing for people to understand. A lot of this is all good nature. For sure. And just you, you, for sure. It, that, you know, it, Mike, like you're around these guys more than you're around your family. Mm-hmm. Like, so you. you you're with them every day. You're gonna laugh with them. You're gonna you're gonna get pissed off at each other. You're gonna have times on road trips where you're like, I don't want to see a single one of you on this off day. You know, it's it's just across the board. Sure. Like this is just normal things. And it's like you said, you gotta kind of lighten the mood a little bit. It's the job itself is stressful. Yeah, enough. Dirk. You know, we had Dirk and Chandler Parsons and myself. That's when seriously that that that's when it was a war zone it was it was nonstop, and it was cool because those guys are frozen they're really good players and you know but they could again make fun of themselves you know i've been around a lot of players that can't do that and, and you sort of you sort of test that out early and, and if you figure they're not really into that stuff then you just sort of lay off but you know dirk and guys like chandler scp was great at that it, you know they're just great people and great dudes to be around and those are the guys you sort of want to be around. It doesn't matter if they average 30 a game for their career or two a game for their career. They're good people. And, you know, unfortunately, the league's not full of people like that. But when you find them, you know, obviously, you know, Dirk's a Hall of Fame, one of the best I've ever played. And, and that's cool to be like that. But it doesn't matter. Like, I'd rather be around a guy that, you know, that's like that, regardless of what they did in their stature in the league. You know, he was, he was one of the, my favorite players to ever be around, just to be around. You know, and he, he's a he's a good guy. You could talk to him about a lot of different things. He's you know, like I said, 
he doesn't take himself all that serious. He's serious when he's on the court, but like you know, day to day, he's pretty. He, he's one of the best I've ever been around. We we've established Luca isn't quite Dirk, you know, in in that capacity. Um, mm-hmm. but but obviously the comparisons are you know just constant. Uh, and and you know they they make sense. You know they're they're both European superstars. They both came to Dallas. They you know both were were lottery picks. You know there's there's so uh, unending you know reasons why people would compare those two. Um, you know, in your year being around Luca, in what ways are they similar? In what ways are they different? Um, you know, what what is what is uh Luca's similarity to you know this outgoing Hall of Fame legend? That of course, you know, it will be uh, decades before you know it's 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 probably not a fair comparison just because of how much Dirk achieved. Um, but but what what are the similarities that that Luca might I, have I just, to him? Yeah, Tim, I think it's the the competitive nature when they're in games. Um, when they're locked in and when Dirk's locked in and again, I wasn't with him in like, oh, nine or 10, 11, when he was real, you know, in, in that time frame where he was on top on top. But even when I got there in 2013, when Dirk's was in, Dirk was in games, his competitive nature and competitive fire to want to compete with anyone, not afraid of anyone, you know, and, and will go at anyone. And that's sort of what, you know that's the that's the similarity between him and Luca. Like Luca just will compete against anyone. Um, you know, in today's game where people are a little bit nicer to one another, especially when they compete. You know, Luca's nice to people like you know James Harden and you know LeBron and those guys in the whole jersey changing thing at the end of exchange. But like he wants to bust their ass in 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 those forty eight minutes in between. And he's a competitive guy that really wants to win and does anything to win. And I think that's where the similarities raise. Um, I think at this point of his career, um, Luke is not where Dirk was as far as like the routine every day of the on-court workouts and the sort of, you know, the sort of the focusing on that. And it's not a knock. It's just sort of his, his way. Jason Kidd was like that early on in his career too, where, you know, he was more of like competitive in those game situations and those games at night, 82 nights a year in playoffs where like in practice and workouts, it's a little bit more loose and they're not sort of regimented to that strict routine that Dirk had throughout his whole career. You know, obviously having Hoga really helped him uh, not only what Hoga was teaching him, but just giving him that routine and that regimen every day of sort of that pro routine every day that he has to go through. And I think in time, Luca will get that. You know, but he's more of like locked in in the game. Not that he's not locked in those other things, but you know, he's more loose, just trying to get himself going a little bit. And then in games, he's just sort of locked in, focused, and and just sort of those ki- that killer mentality in game. And let me ask you though, Mike, what were your first impressions after one or two workouts with Luca? Like, what'd you walk away with? Impressed about? Was there something where you're like, okay, but we got to really focus in on this like what just off the bat i mean we know everything coming yeah. in you've you've done your research draft wise and all that stuff but once you started working with them after like the first or second workout like what were some impressions that you came away with the workouts you know weren't much because of the fact that you couldn't do a lot when we, when we gained us in the summer um because he wasn't cleared by fiba um but when he played and when he came back to us in september I know, and, and Coach Carlisle sort of, fig, you know, talks about that a lot with his first impressions when he saw him. I was sort of at those same games in the summer, in the uh, in the fall, 
and his passing was off the charts. Like you watch him for five minutes, and you know that his passing in the league. Uh, if you you know if you talk about playmakers and passers, he's probably fourth or fifth best in the NBA right off the bat. And I say this because it's not like he's an assist guy where you know you could run plays and it could be scripted. He just really knew where and when to give it to, give it to his teammates. Dorian Finney-Smith was one of those guys who like you know spot a player that didn't re- couldn't really make the shots that he was making now, but like Luca could find him, sort of get him cutting, look aheads in transition, lobs, just sort of knew where and when to give it to him. And you know any teammate that he had on his team, it's the same thing. Was he he was able to find people was able to just sort of his feel for the game as far as the passing was off the charts. Like, you know, maybe if you would have ranked him, I guess like maybe Rondo, LeBron, James Harden were probably the only three players I could see that was probably in that in that better category in passers than him. And, and I'm just talking about right now, you know, in present day and right off the bat that this kid was sort of in that category of, of passer and just sort of basketball IQ. And then with the workouts, again, just wanted to keep it light because I knew that he was going to get a steady diet of, you know, coaches wanting to work with him and Rick wanting to work with him and talk to him. So my thing was sort of to more have a relationship with him and be able to talk to him off the court and sort of have a, you know, a good back and forth and trying to have his back with things that he just needs to know about navigating through an NBA season. When we would work out on the court, um, the only things that I wouldn't want to work with him, we had Peter Patton, which was, he's, you know, Peter doesn't get enough credit. Peter's one of the best, you know, shooting coaches I've ever worked with. And he's done a, a fantastic job for the team. I knew that any shooting technique would be Peter's department. I knew that ball handling and, and things like that would be Sham God's department. And again, Sham God is one of the best player development coaches in the league. And so I knew that, that he was going to get taken care of there. Where I wanted to work with Luca on was his floater and his fakes after drives to be able to get defenders up in the air and draw fouls. You know, I knew, you know, we worked on that. We might might get on the court, do some spot shooting, work on that for like 10, 15 minutes, and then get him off the court. Because I knew that, you know, especially with talking to Casey Smith and, you know, Jeremy Holsoppel, we wanted to keep his sort of his load that he's doing on a daily basis, especially with the minutes he would have to play. Uh, to try to keep him off the court, you know, or try not to keep him on the court longer than we had to. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, those are a couple of things that we touched on. We worked on the floater and fakes after drives probably almost every day. And then, you know, for a small amount of time, and then he sort of had to do what he had to do with, with the other with the other coaches and things. You took that right where I was, uh, was hoping you did. I went to Slovenia last fall, and mm-hmm. one thing that his youth coaches kept telling me um, you know, the ones that I talked to that that saw him as a kid is is they they would say they would say two things. One is that all the moves that they see now is stuff that they saw him trying to do as, you know, a 13 year old, as a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. You know, all these all these, uh, you know, the, the step backs and, you know, just everything he was doing on the court was stuff he was attempting to do back then. And the other thing is that that he would he would take a move. He would take a skill. He would work on it. Uh, you know, and, and he would learn it in a tenth of the time that it would take another player or a hundredth of a time. He could learn something in a week that another player might work on for a year uh, yeah. is, is what one of the one of the coaches uh, told me. Uh, is that what you saw as well? Yeah, 
the the way I cata- categorize Luca is he's he's a next level thinker. You know, th- look, you could be a great player in this league, put up th- twenty five points a game, and you're not really don't have to necessarily be that next level thinker. The those players that I mentioned, you know, Rondo, LeBron, James Harden, you know, and if you talk about players even further back, Magic, LeBron, uh, Magic, you know, uh, Bird, you know, some of the other players that are mentioned. When you talk about Luca, those guys just saw things and learned things at another level. So they don't have to be managed. They sort of figure things out by themselves. It's cerebral like that. And they could just think. And, you know, you show them things and whatnot, but you don't want to manage him and micromanage him. He just has to figure things out. And, you know, just, you know he might not be good at it at first, but it's going to sort of, through their competitive nature and the way they think and the way they see things, you know, especially the way he sees things on the court, you know, he'll see plays two or three, you know, two or three steps ahead than everyone else sees it. You know, Rondo is the same way. And, you know, just because I was around Rondo, I was around LeBron when he was 16 and 17, when I used to work in a Michael Jordan flight, uh, flight school where he would work out and play against NBA guys, you know, at a 16, 17 year old clip, um, you know, watching those guys that have the, that kind of mind. Yeah, you definitely saw that 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 Luca was different in that in that end. I didn't think the scoring stuff was gonna take off, you know, as early as it did. But I knew passing wise, you know, Luca's just the type of player that you put on the court. You sort of give him some direction, and he's gonna figure it out because he's just that's the, that's the way his mind works. So, and on the player development side, though, like, how do you work in or incorporate learning how to quickly diagnose what he's gonna see? I mean. He's seen at this point this year, seen pretty much every defense a team's going to throw at him for the most part, you know, like how quickly on your end, how much do you work on trying to figure out ways to help him learn to diagnose these things quickly? You know, like if I'm a coach, one thing I liked when when I was in San Antonio was we would switch up our pick and roll coverage often to kind of try to keep the ball handlers, you know, off balance. That's great. But, you know, do that against Steve Nash and he's so damn smart and so so quick to kind of see what's coming that he would already beat us to it uh you know like how do you try to have you guys tr- did you try like what's what's the progress process in working that in for for a guy like Luca who's going to see everything and the kitchen sink thrown yeah the, I, obviously I'll have different philosophies than other coaches everybody sort of deals with this differently um you know coach Carlisle sort of he would watch film and talk to you know talk to Luca about things, talk to him in huddles. You know, uh, Jamal Mosley will do the same. You know, as far as trying to get him ready for different things. With me, with again a player like that, when you're around a player like that, my philosophy is you don't just sort of let him figure that out. You know, again, when a player is as competitive as he is and thinks the game like he does, he'll figure it out. It's always good to make mistakes, especially in game situations, and let those guys figure it out a little bit. Yeah, you could talk to them about, hey, the defense is going to rotate. This is what they're going to try to do. But making mistakes and letting them sort of figure things out on their own, especially a, a player that thinks the game like he does, is the best way. Let him fail a little bit. Let him have this adversity. Again, he's not one of those players you really have to manage like that. He's not a normal rookie. And it's not the professional stuff that he did before he got to the NBA. It's just how his brain works and how he just sort of processes the game. And if you let him fail a few times, 
A, he's going to get upset, and that could sort of lead to probably more mistakes. But again, just my thinking is let him just, you know, back up, give him some space, don't micromanage him, don't crowd him with it, and let him sort of get on the court again and face it. And again, usually players like that, the Birds, the LeBrons, the Magics, you know, the Jason kids, they can the way they think and the way they're competitive, they're not going to make the same mistake over and over and over again. Once they figure it out, it, it's, it's back online. It's like they heal themselves. It's like one of those, you know, one of those Terminator robots, right? They just self heal. And that's what I, that's how I think about players who think the game like that. You know, they just sort of figure things out. So I think just sort of letting them sort of giving them space and letting them do that is the best thing for, you know, for Luca in that situation. And, that's just my thinking. But, you know, you watch film, you talk, and, and you put it through. But, again, at the end of the day, the player's going to do it. And I think that if the player's going to be a high-level thinker and a high-level competitor like that, they're going to figure it out on their own by just continuing to be, continue to be in those situations. Yeah, I mean, Luca is it absolutely one of a kind in, in, in that sense. Or, or you know, right, right up there, I guess, with... I mean. Is it fair to say that the NBA has a lot of one of a kinds? You know that that's kind of a prerequisite of, of yeah. getting to the NBA, but yeah. but he's one of them, no doubt. You know he he does have that mind that just you know functions a, a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to move on to uh, a couple other Mavericks. Uh, obviously, Kristaps Porzingis was there, didn't play uh, last season when you were with the team, but but mm-hmm. you were certainly around him, worked with sure. him. I thought it was interesting how much Porzingis in his post ups turned into a new story <laughs> and you know I, I don't really want to talk about whether the post-up is a good player or not I think sure. that's been firmly settled um, I'm curious though like like he has clearly been very bad at post-ups this season then the numbers are not good at all when, when you look at a player like that and, and you look at a player who was in the past a much better player out of the post mm-hmm. um, and, and you think about a team that that you know at some point you may need a post-up and in some playoff series that may be your most efficient play you know for long stretches of games where, where would you start with a player like Porzingis who is really struggling you know in that setting in, in on the court uh where would you start with him to try to get him back on track well I think with the play with any type of player that's getting into a situation like this that if they're having a problem some type of an issue with consistency and efficiency and, you know, and scoring and, and wherever they're trying to get the ball in their kill spots. I think the, the, the thing you want to do is get him some easy baskets, get him some easy looks early. And I think, you know, his situation in New York was they force fed him the ball. They gave it to him anywhere they he needed it, you know, high pose, you know, and sort of that elbow area, that mid post area, let him go to work and just built everything around him. Where in this situation, it's different. They've got, he's got Luca that makes the game so easy. And then he's got all these really good role players around the Maxi Cleavers, the Dwight Powell's, the Dorian Finney-Smith's, the, you know, the Seth Curry, the Tim Hardaway Jr., like guys like that, that just, you know, sort of stretch the game out a little bit for him to stretch the floor out. So what I would try to do, especially with Luca, with him, and again, this isn't a coaching thing or anything, but like I'd get him going a little bit, you know, get, get Luca, him in some pick and rolls, let him roll to the rim. And let him get some easy looks around the basket. Get him some open shots. You know, when Luca gets into the paint, you know, draw draw coverage and get him some easy looks. I think a lot of the looks that he gets, especially when he tries to isolate and he tries to post up, is he gets a lot of tough 
high contest, you know, contested, low percentage type looks and shots where I think when you have a player like Luca, you maximize that and you, you try to maximize his easy looks, get him, get him his confidence, get, get the ball going through the basket a little bit rather than just grinding it out, posting it up to him. I think post-ups are good when, you know, you have a one five pick and roll and they switch and then you roll the post and you, know, you roll that big into the post and then you have mismatches. When you set pin downs, you know, five, two or four, two, when they have to switch and you have a, a wing player on you and then you just go to work that way. You don't have to just sort of come down the court, post it up. You know, that's a bad play. But I think, you know, in, in today's game, but in any game, but I think if you have switches and you have mismatches, throw two in the post there. But I think you got to get him some easy looks. You know, his shot's sort of been inconsistent this year, but trying to get him easy looks from three, not try to force the issue and just try to get him a lot of looks in the flow of the offense with a guy like Luca who could find anyone, you know, he knows where and when to give it to everyone. So let him manage the game and let him, you know, find him three or four easy looks. And then, and then once he gets this sort of confidence going, and I think now you could sort of isolate just a little bit because the isolation, unless it's low, low shot clock, late, look, late game clock, you probably want to look for easier looks, spot up shots, cut straight line drives, rather than just ISO, ISO, ISO. And I think, that's sort of what he's used to being playing like in, in New York. And I think this team is built not to do that because you have such a good playmaker. Now, losing J.J. Barea in the starting lineup is what, you know, he's one of the best playmakers behind Luca. So not having that extra playmaker, too, hurts, you know, Chris Stapps, in my opinion, because that's, you know, one less guy that can sort of get him the ball where and when he needs it. So I just think get him some easy looks, letting him ease into the game and then and then ride him a little bit. You know, I think that's a little bit better, in my opinion. But again, everyone has their different opinion how they look at things. Having watched them now, though, Mike, over the course of this season, mm -hmm. and I know we also still have Porzingis kind of coming back from basically having not played for, gosh, how many months was it, Tim? Like 20 months or something? That was the number? It was like 20 months, and now I, I believe he's missing six straight games again, and, and hopefully we'll be back this week. Sure. But from but from what you've seen so far this season, Mike, how have you seen the pairing of them kind of working together on the court? You know, Porzingis and Luca. You know, when they're on there together, I know the ball is predominantly in Luca's yeah. hands. But ha having seen that pairing, how do you see it working? And how do you see it? And and this might be unfair to ask, but how do you see it kind of evolving in the future? If, if you feel like you could, I, I just think they have that. to simplify his looks. You know, simplify his sort of the shots that he gets. And and that's and they have to play together. It takes time for those guys to learn how to play together. I don't care how much time you spend working out together. Or what, that helps. Don't get me wrong, but playing in games and look, Luca missed that stretch with his ankle, and you know, uh, you know, Kristaps has that issue with the, whatever issues dealing with, with that knee. So like they haven't played together. That's an extra what eight or nine or ten games or whatever you they haven't played together. Um, so. They just need to continue to play with each other, continue to go through some tough times, sort of work through things. And I think that's how you get better. I think that's how any player gets better. I think that, again, with a passer like Luca, and I think he's going to find him in easy looks. And I think if you can maximize the way that you get the ball from, you know, and just maximize the easy looks that you get, the open jump shots, you know, to get yourself going and don't make it hard on yourself. We, sometimes it just looks like he's forcing it and he's forcing the issue. Sometimes it takes, all right, 
you know, since the, I get the ball, it's not a good shot. Let me give it back to somebody else and then get it back into a better, more high percentage situation. You know, I think sometimes we, you know, and some players like when the time's coming down in the first quarter and they're not getting a lot of looks, they feel as though when they catch the ball, they got to make a play where, you know, just sort of be patient. When you have a guy that's a passer like that, he'll find you. And the way that that, that team moves the ball anyway, that I think he'll get found. It's just, you know, sometimes I just think it's forced. Like a lot of deep threes, a lot of, you know, fadeaway shots, a lot of spinning, a lot of, a lot of that. But again, that's, he's got to figure that out. That's on him to sort of figure out what's good for him and what's good for the team. He's, they'll figure it out. It's just, again, when you go through a situation, we did it all the time in other situations with rookies. You know, when rookies come in in the NBA, not, not a great player. I'm just talking a regular player. They're the LeBron James of their college team. They're the, they're the Luka Doncic of their college team where they're getting everything run to them. And now you have to go to a situation where not everything's being run to you and sort of how to, how to shift gears like that and figure out how to be a winning player and an impact player sort of with less touches. Everything was catered to him in New York as far as offensively. It's still catered to him a lot where he gets the ball in, in a lot of touches with the Mavericks, but it's different. You know, it's a different type of play. You know, it's that different type of situation they're in, different type of offense. They have a guy that's gonna that's their franchise player that handles the ball a lot. So he's just got to find, you know, they find the spots where he could be really effective for them. I think that's been one of the most interesting things to watch this this first half of the season is the the um the mental battle in KP's head as he is trying to adapt to the way the Mavericks want him to play and also pushing back against 3 years of a like Knicks and indoctrination mm-hmm. of just like he played one way there and he's coming here and is slowly being, you know, retaught this Dallas style and and so I, I've really really enjoyed watching that um I want to I want to ask one more question that that goes a slightly different direction before we let you get out of here um I've, I've always been fascinated in my you know 10 years being around this team by by this front office and I don't think we talk enough about how how long the you know I guess the trinity of uh key figures at the top Rick Carlisle Donnie Nelson and Mark Cuban had been together Cuban since 2000 Donnie, you know, a, f- a few years after that and eventually became general manager mm-hmm. and Carlisle was, was hired in 2008. <coughs> there aren't many, if, if any front offices that are that together have been around this long in, in your eyes and in, in your time around these people and, and just around this front office, this organization, this franchise is, is it unique in that sense? Does it stand out that it does have people in, you know, the, the very top positions uh, having such longevity to, to, their, to their careers? And, you know, is there any interesting way that they do function together? You know, I think the way they function and having so much longevity and being around each other, I think that they know what works. You know, they know what, what works under Coach Carlisle, like, you know, what type of player to get, what type of player is going to, you know, be good in that system. Um, they're going to know sort of how the, how the team operates. And I think having, having that relationship and being around each other as much as they have, I think it sort of makes it easy in having that longevity. I think that Donnie is one of the better evaluators of talent that I've seen. He's, you know, he's really good with it. He, he could eye talent. He knows, you know, drafts 
you know, his drafts sort of, and, and not all his fault, you know, obviously it could be situational in, in some ways, but, you know, he, he didn't have a, some success in, in the middle part there. But at the end here with, you know, wanting to draft the Greek freak, drafting, you know, drafting Luca and making the move for Luca, um, even the sort of the, the pickups of, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith and, you know, Maxi Kleber, you know, having Dwight Powell, making sure Dwight Powell was in that Rondo trade, you know, sort of identifying pieces that could help the team and sort of flourish in Coach Carlisle's system. I think that's sort of a great thing. And, and just, again, being around with each other so long and being around, knowing what works and what doesn't and continue to, to try to figure things out. I think that it, it is unique because, you know, the NBA could be such a sort of in and out system of like coaches getting fired and GMs getting fired and, you know, upper management getting fired where Mark sort of does a great job of sort of keeping people intact and keeping sort of pieces together and, you know, and sort of battling through the tough times and sticking with people. Um, I think he's done a, a really good job with that. And, you know, again, having a GM that sort of knows what he's doing and a coach that sort of has a, you know, has a good system and sort of an analytical thinker like that and having great, you know, great sort of people in the organization and keeping them there. I think it's it's been beneficial for them for sure, and and it shows in their team. And you know, yeah, Luca. Like you could have a lot of guys with a, a team a team with players like Luca and Kristaps on it, but the role players that that fit in so well. I mean, you know, to draft the personalities or, or pick up the personalities like a Dwight Powell, Maxi, and Dorian Finney-Smith that really have a a big part of that team because they're sort of their their DNA is being really good role players and then having, you know, Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr. that try to fight that role player role that just sort of like, you know, that 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 really try to be scorers and try to help that team and be aggressive. And then, you know, obviously the rest of their bench trying to do what they do uh, to add to that team. is It's really good, you know, how they sort of fit the pieces in and, you know, and they work and it just works. Mo, you got anything else? No, I think we've occupied all of Mike's time. I, I might try to call him on the side and trash talk a little, but that's about it. <laughs> that's you, great. you do plenty of that to me already, so I'll, I'll, I'll be... It's You're just an easy target, <sighs> okay? You don't bring it back. You don't. I feel like hearing the list of stuff that Mike was saying to Dirk, by the way, I'm stealing about half of those. Um, <laughs> you, I'm, it, it, I was like, you know what? This is a guy that like I can go back and forth with. With you, I just feel like I'm a bully picking on you. Well, you are a bully and you are picking on me. So, you know, maybe, maybe have you ever considered that? Maybe I'm just trying to toughen you up, but Mike <laughs> doesn't need to hear all of us having this conversation. Uh, perfect. Perfect. No, it's been fun, fellas. I think it's been a, a good season. I think these guys are in the right direction. Um, doesn't matter what happens really this year. I think they're, you know, they're set. They've got, they've got most of their talent signed up for a while. And Luca's, you know, taking over the city and it's, it's such a, it's a, it's exciting. It's an exciting thing to watch every night. And, you know, they're in almost every game and, you know, they've, they're pulling together and they're learning some things. They're up and down a little bit, but they're going to be good for a long time. So it, it'll be exciting. It's, it's a fun time to follow the Dallas Mavericks. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been another episode of 77 Minutes in Heaven. 